Hey there, Pastor Mark here. It's our prayer that this message would encourage and equip you in your relationship with Jesus. We're able to provide this content due to the joyful generosity of our financial partners. And if you'd be willing to join that tribe and help get some sermons like this around the world, you can donate at harvestbaptist.info slash give. God bless. Galatians chapter number two. And I'd like to start this morning, if I could, by letting you in on something that very few people know. And very few people know this, not because it's a secret, but because it's just not a point of conversation that comes up for me naturally as I talk to people. But years ago, like 15 to 20 years ago, my dad invented something. He had an idea in his head and he uh, wrote it down on paper and kind of sketched it out. Uh, He had a prototype made for it. He got it patented. And for years, he's been seeking to license it. He's, he's gotten a few offers from some companies on it, but never anything he thought was really worth the money and, and is still to this day trying to license it. And my dad invented a device that prevents wedgies. Now, not the wedgies you're thinking of, a basketball wedgie. I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with basketball wedgies? It's a term, okay? It's a, real, it's a real term. A basketball wedgie is when a ball gets wedged in between the rim and the backboard. And it's kind of a, a defect in the setup that every once in a while, if you shoot the ball at just the right angle, it'll just get stuck. And if you're in like, you know, middle school, you gotta get a broom and, and kick it out. If you're in high school, maybe someone can jump up there or maybe a cheerleader goes up to get it or something like that. But you gotta get it out and the whole game stops and, and there's been a number of <clears throat> situations in state championships and college tournaments and things where it's, it's messed with a lot of games because you just have to stop everything. And he thought for years, like, that's stupid. It shouldn't be this way. We should fix this. So he patented something and, and he hasn't. He's been trying to license it. A few years ago, uh, Shark Tank, the show from ABC, I don't know if you've ever seen Shark Tank, where people can pitch their ideas in businesses and they can get investors. They went to Louisville, which is where my dad lives. And they were having tryouts for the show. So my dad said, I'm going to go. I'm going to take my stuff. I'm going to go pitch it. So he did. He went and he pitched it and he made it through the first round of Shark Tank tryouts. So he went back to the second round. They kind of whittled it down and he passed the second round of the Shark Tank tryouts. And I don't remember how many rounds there were. All I remember is that he was going into the final round where you're pitching to like the executive producer. And if you get a yes, you're on the show. Like this is make or break. You're going to be on the show. It's kind of the final cut. And I remember talking to him. I said, dad, I don't know if you're going to get on the show or not. But if you get on the show and the sharks are looking to invest, you got to promise me you won't get an investment from Kevin O'Leary. Okay, I know you want the money. But Kevin is my least favorite shark. I, I kind of like them all, but I don't, I don't like Kevin. Because Kevin is, he's known for a phrase that if, if the negotiations aren't going the way that he wants, he has a phrase that he'll use. And some of you know the phrase. His phrase is, you're dead to me. Right? That's his phrase. You're dead to me. And this morning, I want to channel my inner Kevin O'Leary, okay? You're like, you're a pastor. Shouldn't you channel Jesus? Kevin O'Leary this morning, Okay. And I want to preach on that idea, you're dead to me. And I want you to understand how that ties into uh, even what we celebrated on Easter weekend. So let's, you say, what, you're dead to me, what do you mean? Okay, let's, let's flip that coin on its head. The Bible talks about life all the time. 
And in some really grand ways, you have everlasting life and eternal life. Even Jesus says in John 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Thieves come with the intention of plundering and robbing and killing, murdering, destroying. I am come, not with those intentions. I'm come that you might have life and that you might have life abundantly. And to which anyone who reads that is like, yes, sign me up, right? Like that sounds fantastic. That's one of those coffee mug verses, right? You don't put every verse on a coffee mug, but that's one of the ones you put on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. It's one of those things that we, that we love to hear. But how do you get this life? And I suppose there's a lot of ways that I can answer that. First, you, you have to put your faith and, and trust in the Lord Jesus. But once that's done, if someone is a, a believer or a Christian, how do you experience the life of God day to day? And once again, lots of answers, but I'd like to look at Jesus's words. What Jesus said in Mark chapter number eight, and we'll get to Galatians in a minute, is Jesus said this. He said, when he called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto him, whosoever will come after me. So look, you wanna follow me? You wanna come after me? Here are my marching orders. My marching orders are, let him deny himself and let him take up his cross and follow me. Now, mind you, the cross at this point in time is not something that we wear around our neck. It's not a piece of jewelry. The cross is the means of death, right? The cross is an execution instrument, an instrument of death. He says, take up your cross and follow me, verse 35, for whosoever shall save his life will lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. Now it's very paradoxical. That's on the face value or surface, it's contradictory. But here's what Jesus says. You want life, you gotta lose your life. You want life, you gotta take up your cross and die. And this is, this is the way of Christianity. If you think about it, it's the pattern that's set for us. The father had life for Jesus, resurrection life for Jesus. But how did Jesus get resurrection life? He had to go find his cross, right? And this is the pattern. And here's the truth. We all like a resurrection. We all want a resurrection. But in order to get a resurrection that we just celebrated last weekend, you gotta have a death. If you want resurrection life, you gotta have a death. Those two go hand in hand, and sometimes people just miss this. We come to Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection, we think about life, and we miss the Christian truth, the paradox of if you really want to live, you have to die. So today, I want you to understand a few different items in your life, a few maybe areas where you have to say, you're dead to me. And here's what Galatians says, start here. You gotta say, self, you're dead to me. Paul would write in Corinthians that he died daily. That's a good verse if you wanna memorize like part of a verse, I die daily. It's, it's a good thing to hold on to. But Paul also said in Galatians chapter number two, he said this, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. See the paradox? I'm crucified, but I live. How does that work? Crucifixion is not something that, that produces life, is it? 
Well, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now listen, if you want to do oppo research on your number one enemy, all you need to do is look in the mirror. All of us have this thing called self that wants to dominate us. King self is a ruthless ruler who will hold on to the throne of your heart with fierce control. And Christians understand that a death of self is actually something that produces life, that I gotta pull self off that throne and put Jesus on the throne. And there's a crucifixion of sorts that, that takes place. And this is hard because we're all selfish by nature. Then we have a culture that is very selfish as well and promotes that we should be selfish or that we should uh, take selfies or that we should be self-promoting and we should brand ourselves and market ourselves and we should be uh, self-actualizing and we should love ourselves and it's self, self, self all the time. But the Christian truth is you need to die to self in order to really live. If you wanna live, you wanna die to self. You say, Pastor, how do I know if, I, if I'm selfish? Well, let me quickly just give you five marks of, of a selfish life. You'll know you're selfish if you're self-willed. This is an extreme contrast in Satan and Jesus in the Bible. Satan is someone who is self-willed. I will, I will, I will. I will ascend. I will be like the most high. I will. Jesus is someone in his greatest moment who is nevertheless not my will, but thine be done, Right? And there's this contrast of living for your will and what you want versus living for what God wants. And those that really experience life understand I have to crucify self and I have to live for what God wants. There's not just self-will, there's self-exaltation. You know, look at me, I'm awesome, follow me, I'm the best. That's so pervasive in our culture right now, especially the younger you are, you, you understand this. I mean, a lot of people in the culture and in church, who can strut sitting down, right? Chest out, constantly exalting themselves. And to steal a line from Romans 1, they start to worship the creature more than the creator. There's also self-pity. And I, I'll raise my hand, be like, I struggle with all these. Self-pity too. You ask them how they, how they feel, and you get an organ recital. And that self-pity starts to turn into self-justification and letting yourself off the hook. And you know what? Well, I deserve to, I owe it to myself too. And now you start to operate in ways that are far less than wise or righteous because your self-pity has crept in. And then self-justification. The apology sticks in their throat, right? There's never anything that they do wrong. They can't admit it. They can't be in the, in the wrong ever. But the truth that we're all acutely aware of, if we're honest with ourselves is that if we were to spank the person most responsible for our problems, we would not be able to sit for a week. Like, it's us. If the problem starts here, then there's, there's not just self-justification, there's self-confidence. Peter was someone who struggled with self-confidence. I'm good, I won't deny you, I got what it takes, I'll follow you to the end, and he fell flat on his face. Paul was someone who models for us extreme Christ confidence. I can do all things, but it's through Christ which strengthens me, right? 
I would never recommend to you a defeatist mindset. The Christian life and a Christian mindset is not one of defeat and gloom and a lack of hope and I can't do anything, you know, nothing good's ever gonna happen with my life. I would never say that. The Christian life is one that should be a victory and it should be a mindset of victory. But that mindset of victory comes not from confidence in ourselves, but from confidence in God. There's a big difference between those two. Be confident, but be confident in God. And here's the point. There are a lot of people that just don't ever die to self. And because they don't die to self, they don't experience the life that God really has for them. Now, there are a lot of ways that you could die to yourself. There's a lot of ways where you can decrease and he can increase. But the way that I would recommend to you the most is just to take some time to worship God, to adore God, to magnify God. Not so much making yourself smaller and smaller, but making God larger and larger. And as he grows and grows and grows, then the contrast is, is extreme, right? I love how Lori put it in the video that I'd, I'd lost the wonder and I wanted to experience the wonder of his mercy. And there's, there's something that happens to us when God grows. Some of you, you experience this on Sundays. You come to church and you leave like happier, and you, and you can't quite put your finger on it. Was it because it was social and people shook my hand? Well, a little bit. Was it because it was something that got my wheels turning and, and it you know, percolated and I, I, woke, I woke up a little bit? Well, well, maybe. But a lot of it is the worship of stopping and thinking and singing that our God is great and his mercy is wonderful. And when you start to do that and get your eyes on him and he grows and you get a little bit smaller, especially in comparison, all of a sudden something starts to be produced in you that I would dare call life, that is good, that is beautiful, that's something that you want and you crave. But how do you get life? Well, you have to say, self, you're dead to me. But Paul goes on to write, if you flip the page over to Galatians chapter number five, that it's not just self, you're dead to me, but flesh, you're dead to me. Here's what he says in Galatians 5, 17. And I love the honesty of the Bible right here. I love how stone cold honest it is. And if you've lived the Christian life for any length of time, you'll get this verse. You're like, I, yep, felt that. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Here's what it's saying. The Christian life on many levels is like a tug of war. And on one end of the rope, you got the spiritual, the spirit pulling. And on the other end of the rope, you got your flesh pulling. And it goes on to say, many times the flesh wins that tug of war so that I can't even do the things that I wanna do. I want to pray more. I want to live a life of righteousness. I want to, to be a good Christian, but flesh wins that war and all of a sudden I'm not doing the things that I wanna do, right? Because while I want to do that, there's also a part of me that wants to, whatever your flesh wants to do. You fill in the blank. Drink a lot, go there, give into my anger because it feels good. I power up and it makes me feel good for a minute. There is this war at play, he says. And here's what he says in verse 24. If you just skim down a couple verses, he says, they that are Christ have, quote, crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. How do I win this tug of war? You get flesh and you put it on a cross and you crucify your flesh. 
Now understand, I think this is important to note, a crucifixion produces death gradually. So don't get the idea that you're gonna crucify your flesh and that abracadabra, your problems are solved. Dead, gone, never to be dealt with again. That's, that's a gradual process of crucifixion. It's not a firing squad. And this side of heaven, Christians understand, we're never fully going to get death of the flesh this side of heaven. But hopefully we can get closer and closer and, and more and more of a death, I guess I would say, as we do that day by day by day. You say, okay, pastor, help me understand this. You're telling me I need to crucify my flesh so that I can really live, okay? Are you literally talking about hurting myself? No. Then how might I do this? Like, help me practically. And thankfully, Paul does help us practically. There's a section in Romans 6 where he talks about death and life and how we even identify with the death and life of Jesus and baptism. But he goes on to say, here's the way you crucify your flesh. And I love how just how bottom shelf it is. He says in Romans 6, do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. I love that phrase. And your members as instruments of righteous, righteousness unto God. Be dead and alive with Jesus. How? Yielding your members. What are my members? Well, if you cut off my arm, you dismember me, right? Right? My members are the parts of my body. It's my flesh. It's my fingers and my hands and my eyes and my ears and my nose. It's my flesh. And what does he say? As those that are dead and then alive, what do I do? I yield my members as members of, of, of righteousness. So here's what this would perhaps look like practically. He's, I think he's talking about prayer. Like how do you yield that to God? You stop. Try this today. Try it tomorrow. Take five minutes. It may not even take you five minutes. It may take you three minutes. And stop and say, God, today I yield myself to you. God, today you get all of me. And start at the top of your head and go to the bottom of your feet and yield your members. And say, God, today, this mind, I want to be a mind that thinks about you. I don't want to forget you today. I want this mind to be a mind that thinks on things that are true and lovely and honest and have a good report today. I don't want to think about all my worries and let them just berate me. I don't, I don't want my thoughts to be negative and critical. I want my mind to be the mind of Christ. I want, I want you to have this brain today. God, I want you to have my ears today. God, I want to listen to some, to some worship music today. I wanna get around some friends that will encourage me today. I don't want the trash around the water cooler. I don't wanna to listen to the trash in that, in, that, in that media, that music or that show. Lord, I don't want people to use my ears as trash cans and just gossip in, inside of my ears all day long, God. I want my ears to be your ears today. I want my eyes to be your eyes today, God. I yield them to you. Help me to look on what you would have me look at. Help me to focus on what you would have me focus at. I wanna open up your word and look at that. I don't wanna watch trash on the television or Netflix. I don't, I don't want to see things that I shouldn't. I, I want these eyes to be yours. Lord, help my mouth to be your mouth. May I speak words of love and encouragement today. May I be bold with the gospel today. Give me, the, give me an opportunity to witness for you. Give me the wisdom to see it. Give me the courage to take it. Help my mouth to be your mouth today. God, help my hands to be your hands today. I'm gonna go to work. 
but help me to work hard today. I don't want to be lazy. That's, that's not Christian to be lazy. I want to work hard today. I don't want to hold, hold life and all the stuff closed-fisted. I want to be open-handed. I want to be generous. Make these your hands. You get the point? Take five minutes and start at the top and go to the bottom and yield yourself. What are you doing? You are crucifying your flesh. You're saying this brain and these ears and these eyes and this mouth and these hands, these are not going to be used in a way that my flesh just wants to run or for sin or for unrighteousness or for things that are unwise. I am going to use these in a way that is fitting with the gospel. I'm going to live for God today. I'm going to crucify my flesh and see if you don't live. But Paul goes on to say, You don't just say self, you're dead to me. And flesh, you're dead to me. He goes on to say, world, you're dead to me. Flip the page again in Galatians 6. Galatians 6, verse 14. God forbid that I should glory, save or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to boast and glory in that. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now here's the truth, whether you recognize it or not. The world has, has jump leads on your mind and on your heart. And it is a painful process to take those jump leads off and to stop them from pumping in all that they want to. They want to send a current through you. And the message of the world, according to the Bible, is very simple. It wants to pump into you the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Lust of the eyes, I want to have. Lust of the flesh, I want to do. Pride of life, I want to be. I would even put it this way to you. The world is constantly pumping the message of be fulfilled and find happiness by stuff and by sex and by status. That is the core of what the world is going to tell you to find peace and joy and happiness And you have to have the Christian boldness to take those leads off and to say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not buying what the world's selling. I'm not pursuing that. I'm not finding my, my joy in that because the Bible says literally the opposite. It says stuff doesn't deliver. Status doesn't deliver. Sex doesn't deliver. It says the opposite. It says status, no, 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 no. The way up is down. Humble yourself. Serve them. Put other people first and see if there's not joy there. The Bible says that sex is a gift that is meant to be stewarded and it's a beautiful gift from God, but within the confines of marriage, it's not meant to be something that becomes your identity, nor is it something that is a no holds barred relationship where you can just do whatever you want, whenever you want and give into any desire that you have. It never says that. It says it's a gift, but it's not meant to be something that would produce your ultimate happiness. You can't substitute sex for Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You'll be empty. Stuff is the same way. Try to consume and consume and consume and see if it fulfills you. It doesn't. The Bible tells you as much. It says it's more blessed to give. It's be open-handed. Let go of your stuff is what it says. What, what is it saying? It's saying you have to crucify the world. You have to say, you're dead to me. I am not going to pursue the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I'm not living for that anymore. I'm living for something different and that's for King Jesus. Now, how do you, help, how do you make this happen practically? And I don't have time to elaborate on this, but I, I would love for you to understand the, the cliff note version of John 17. 
Because Jesus speaks to this in such an amazing way. John 17 is the, is the longest prayer we have recorded in all the Bible. And it's Jesus's prayer. You get to be a fly on the wall and hear Jesus pray. Like I've been to a lot of prayer meetings. I've prayed with a lot of Christians, but my ears would perk up if I got to sit next to Jesus while he led us in prayer, right? Like how cool would that be? And you get that in John 17. And right in the middle of his prayer, there's this huge section where he says, Father, I'm not from this world, but you sent me into the world and you sent me on mission. And I'm about to fulfill my mission and I'm leaving the world. I am, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna raise and I'm gonna ascend, I'm gonna be gone. But my disciples, my disciples are gonna be left in the world. They're not coming with me just yet. And my disciples, I don't want them to be taken out of the world. I want them to be in the world, but not of it. I, I want them to be here and I want them to be on mission. I don't want them to live like reclusive lives off the grid, away from society, like living off of rainwater. I, I don't want that for them. I want them to be in the world, but I want them to be separate from the world. And, and how do you do that? How do you be in the thick of it? in the neighborhood, in the workplace, in the community, in the world, with people that don't have the values of Jesus all around you and the world and all of its marketing and schemes screaming at you to find fulfillment in other ways that are anti-biblical. Be in the world, but separated apart from the world. And here's what he says. He says, so sanctify them, set them apart. That's what sanctify means. Set them apart from the world by your truth. Your word is truth. You wanna go a long way in dying to the world and helping your values line up with God's values, not with the world's values? You wanna go a long way to live kingdom down and not culture up? What do you do? You get in the word. And by the way, not a devotional where someone else talks about the word. Get in the word. Like open it up. And I'm not against devotionals as a supplement, but that's not the core of your diet. It shouldn't be. The core of the diet is the word. If you're like, I don't know where to start. Well, we're in Galatians this morning. Start in Galatians. Pick there. Take a few minutes. Read it. You say, I'm not going to understand everything. Me either, okay? <laughs> sometimes it takes some study or sometimes you get something to help you for that day and you move on. That's okay. There's learning. There's growing. But take some time and open it up and see if you don't see God and his character and his values and what he wants for your life reflected and see if that doesn't fly in the face of what the world tells you and see if it doesn't sanctify you. See if his word, his truth doesn't sanctify or set you apart from the world. So here's, here's the point. If you wanna live, well, in order to have a resurrection, you gotta have a death. What do you die to? You, you say self, you're dead to me. Flesh, you're dead to me. World, you're dead to me. And here's my recommendation, okay? I'm preaching this morning not for information. I'm preaching for transformation. I knew, hey, week after Easter, right? There's always a week after Easter, people that are new to faith, people that are just kind of getting back in the habit of church, people that, that are wanting to grow and wanting to learn. And I just wanted to give you something really practical to help you go forward and really live. So my recommendation this week is gonna be the 105 to thrive, okay? You say that, the 105 to thrive, that sounds like a really cheesy name. I am well aware, I am well aware it's cheesy, but you'll remember it. 
Here's what, I, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do this week. 15 minutes a day for seven days. 15 times seven is 105. 15 minutes a day. Take five minutes and worship. Now you can take longer. You know, you may go five minutes and by accident go to seven. I mean, that's okay. Take five minutes and worship God. Don't ask him for stuff. Don't give him all your petitions and, and all your heartaches. He cares about that, but leave that off for the time being and worship him. Think about how good he is, how big he is, how great he is, as we sang. If you struggle to do that and you're like, I don't know the words to say, then find a good worship song that really magnifies and extols God and put that on and sing it or listen to the lyrics and meditate on that and, and use that song to help you worship. Take five minutes and pray. And pray from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and say today, God, you know me. You know I mess up a lot of days. You know that yesterday wasn't all that great, but that's yesterday, today's today. And today, you get me. Today, I'm giving you my mind and my ears and my eyes and my mouth and my hands and my feet. I'm giving you all of me today, God. And take five minutes and open up his word and read it. And see if, see if you do that for 15 minutes a day for seven days a week, if you don't have more life a week from now. I know some of you are already there. You're like, Pastor, I do that. I, I do more than that on a daily basis. Great, don't take your foot off the gas pedal, continue on. But some of you would say, I've never done that. This, this is a new concept. Or I have done that, but I'll be honest, my spiritual rhythms are really disrupted right now. You know, work got crazy, and then this happened with the kids, and their project was due, and then this and that. And, and it's, it's just, I'm out, of, I'm out of sync right now. I'm out of rhythm. Start here. Start here. You can build off of this, but start here. 15 minutes a day for seven, for seven days. And I'll do it with you. You say, well, you're the pastor. You have to. Probably, but still, I'll do it with you. I'm telling you, you're going to find that when you die to yourself and you die to your flesh and you die to the world, that there is life on the other side of that. Far more than living for your flesh and giving into your flesh and living for yourself and living for the world. 